and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Welcome, everyone. This is the Level Up Engineering Podcast. Today, my guest is Peter Enderton. He's founder of Internal Alignment, and he coaches and does workshops and many other awesome things. I will give it a go and welcome you, Peter. I'm very happy you are here. I would like to first ask you to give us a few insights about you, who you are, and what we should know about you. That's great. Thanks, Carolina. And thanks for the invitation to join you. It's great to be here. Um, in terms of who I am, so I'm um, I'm 51. I live in the UK and I'm an engineer by training. Uh, you might describe me as a lapsed engineer, but to some extent, all the principles that I learned from an engineering perspective are still very much in use today. So I've shifted from working with systems to working with people and organisations, which really are just systems. That's, that, that's how it works. So I work as an executive coach. And I work with uh, MDs, chief execs, senior leaders from you know, relatively small organisations where you know, turnover of 30, 40 million, right the way through to um, you know, chief execs of organisations who would measure their turnover in billions. So quite a wide range of people that I work with. But I'm, I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about simplicity. One of the things that frustrates me is we've overcomplicated leadership over the years. And I'm passionate about alignment. That's why my organisation is called Internal Alignment. I, I, I genuinely believe that if at a personal level, if we can get out of our own way and get aligned, then we can achieve so much more. And at an executive level, when you've got a senior leadership team who are all lined up and pointing in the same direction, you can achieve just about anything. So that's kind of the essence of what I do. In terms of who I am, um, I... Uh, I live in a house that's more of a project than a house. My wife has a preference for buying houses that need love. And then we gradually breathe life back into them and, uh, and, and work our way through. Uh, I, um, I have two adult boys, uh, one who's 25, one who's 22. And uh, I, love, I love getting outdoors, cycling. I love eating rather too much. Uh, I'm very involved in the Christadelphian church uh, near me. Uh, which basically doesn't have any paid clergy, but we, we do it all ourselves. So it's, it's very much self-led. And what else can I have to say? I'm utterly directionally challenged. So I couldn't find my way out of a paper bag. I can navigate teams, but when it comes to navigating my way around the country, it's sat-nav all the way. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing that. I, I love that you said your house is more of a project I think if you ever want to move to Hungary, you can come to my house because it really needs a lot of love. Um, but beside that, um, let's go to today, today's topic. We're gonna we're gonna talk about strategies that C-suit executives can use right now to improve how they are within their teams and to improve their relationship with their employees. So um, to start out, um, let's just let's just talk about the broad terms. Um, you mentioned alignment. I would love to open that up a little bit, and and how that connects to strategies that we are offering to C-suite executives, and also you know what are what are some ways that people can use to improve their relationship with their employees. Okay, so in terms of alignment, uh, I mean, I gave the analogy of sat-nav earlier on. 
there's there's really three key elements to, to creating alignment. The, the first one is obviously you need to have agreement on where you're going. That's the one that everybody focuses their attention on and they think that that's the solution. Actually, that's the easy part. The, the biggest challenge is working out where you are now and getting everybody on the same page as to where you are now. Because again, with the sat-nav, it's all very well. You can punch in the destination, but if it can't pick up a signal and tell you where you are now, you can't identify the route. And that's where most organisations fall down, where most organisations struggle with alignment because they haven't got everybody on the same page as to where they are now. Uh, but then the third element, of course, is once you know where you are, uh, once you're clear, uh, once you know where you are, when you're clear where you want to be, then actually as you look at those two things together, it sets up a natural tension between the two and it starts to become clear what needs to be done in the middle to resolve that tension to move from one to the other. So you're looking to get alignment on those three things. Where do we want to get to? Where are we now? And what needs to be done to, to create the shift from where we are now to where we want to be? So it is simple, but certainly the second one of those steps is, is usually dramatically overlooked and it and that links quite nicely to the second part of your question about creating connection with the team because actually the first thing that we really need to do is understand where we are at from their perspective it's all very well as deciding that we have the answers and we know where we are and we know what the problems are actually we can see a fraction of what's going on uh, and we need to be listening and engaging with the broader team the broader organization to be, really be clear on what that is I also thought about um, what you just said about making it clear where we are. Um, your your TED talk that I watched mentions that um, a leader needs to be authentic and um, and needs to be well aware of who they are so they can be authentic. And what you just said about alignment really resonated. Um, with me, but one way of of being authentic is like being really transparent about where you are right now, like how you're feeling and, you know, putting it out there so that people aren't surprised. But, but it's also very different to knowing who you are in the broader sense, like your values and, and, um, and how you view the world. Um, and as you said, I think it's uh, it's sometimes quite hard on the individual level, let alone on the organizational level. And um, we can we can get into into that um, a little later. Um, what strategies would you offer to to those listening and watching? How how can they better their relationship? With their employees. Okay, yeah, there's a few things you can do. And definitely, I'd love to come back to a conversation about individual and organizational values after. That would be that would be really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you a story. I, I, I once worked with a, a chief exec. She was a lovely lady called Angelina Foster. And she was working, she was uh, based in Scotland. And the organization that she'd been brought in to work with was actually a local, it was a, a It was a government-funded organisation, but the, the performance of this organisation was so poor that the government were considering uh, cancelling the whole funding and, and closing the whole organisation down. And I was called in to help work with some of her leaders. And I was running some leadership development programmes to, to really challenge their thinking, get, help them get into the mindset of leadership. What was interesting is when I was talking to these leaders, the way they would talk about this lady, Angelina Foster was with it was more than admiration it was almost love if i if i could if i could use that term there was a very very strong feeling about it and yet she'd also been responsible although she would deny this for for significantly turning the organization around so we've got a combination here where the results that were very very poor were became very very impressive so she created a significant turnaround in the organization and yet everybody would talk about her with such respect and admiration and i finally had the opportunity to meet her and have a conversation with her directly and i said to angelina if you could go into an organization and you could only do one thing 
to make a difference. And this would be to make a difference in terms of connecting with the team, but also in terms of resolving issues and moving things forward in the organisation. She said, that's easy, Peter. I'd, I'd make it easy for people to speak up and I would listen. So if I was to say that the very, very first step, if you want to create a greater connection with your team and with your organisation, it's to listen. And, and we need to be really clear on what that actually means because, I mean, usually if we're honest with ourselves, and you'll know the answer to this question, Caroline, when we think we're listening to somebody else, what are we usually doing? Most people will say they are formulating the answer in their head so they can have a good comeback. Absolutely. So all we're thinking about at that point really is what we're going to say next. Uh, and in reality, when it comes to listening, the critical thing that we need to get hold of is to get our ego out of the way, because it's not about us at that point in time, and just listen to what it is that they're actually trying to tell us and to understand it. Because it's very easy as a leader to get defensive about it, to disagree with it, to say that they've got it wrong, all of those things. And, and, and I'm not saying they've got it right, but I am saying it's their perspective and there'll be a reason for that perspective. And actually, it's really key that we actually acknowledge that and start to understand what that is. It, it has been said that the feeling of being listened to is so close to the feeling of being loved Uh, that most people don't know the difference. Now, just to be clear, that could get you in a lot of trouble at work, so I'm not going to suggest we take it that far. But let's just rephrase that. The feeling of being listened to is so close to the feeling of being valued that most people don't know the difference. And I think if we, if we just started with just one thing, I, I would be really challenging leaders to think, you know, how well do you really listen to your teams? And what would happen if you went back out, you know, after listening to this and gave them a really good listening to uh, and see where that took you? However, I would challenge you and say that I know quite a few leaders who would say, I am a really great listener. I listen to my team all the time. And if you ask their team, their team would, if not say the opposite, they would not say that they are a great listener. And so... My question to you is, besides the self-assessment, how can a leader become a better listener than they are right now? Well, it, I mean, we have to get quite deep quite early on early here because there's, a, there's, there's a really important principle to understand what leadership is all about. And obviously, I, I, I talk about this in, 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 the, in the TED Talk you referred to earlier. The foundation of all things leadership is rule number one. Everything begins with rule number one. And rule number one of leadership tells us it's not about you. It's not about our way of doing things. It's not about our solutions. And it's not about our ego. As leaders, if we are going to deliver results, our focus has to be on them. Uh, and if we were, you know, if we were to go through the very best and the very worst people that we've all worked for over the years, the one thing that sets these two columns apart, if we listed their characteristics in different columns, Ultimately, you can see you can sit and try this at home, write a list of the, 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 the worst people you ever worked for, what kind of things did they do? The best people that you worked for, what kind of things did you do? And then as you look down that list, ask yourself the question, where is the focus of their attention? And the worst leaders, the focus of their attention is all on themselves. The best ones, they're absolutely focused on the team and making the team as successful as it can be. So, so the thing we have to recognize here is there's a lot of people out there talking about leadership as though there's a magic tool that will make everything fall into place. A little bit like the silver bullet. You know, if I can put this, if I've got this silver bullet, everything will magically fall into place. People will, will comply with all my requirements and, and everything will happen and, and all, the, all the measures will move in the right direction and I'll, I'll walk down the street and the birds will fly out of the trees and land on my shoulders and, and it's just going to be wonderful and there'll be music playing wherever I go. The silver bullet doesn't exist. And, and the danger is by looking for another tool or another technique to solve all of our management problems, actually what we've done is we've just created more confusion because people just create more models and more theories in order to help the hunt for the silver bullet. So I am going somewhere. You might be wondering what I'm talking about here. But the point is, we have to recognise that leadership is about a mindset. It's about the way that you think. It's about who, who you are. So it's not always about, it's not about what you do. 
it's about who you are. Leadership isn't a hat you put on when you come into work. It, it's about the way you think. It's about that mindset. It, it's about, about the person you are. And until we actually fully grasp rule number one, we're always going to struggle to listen. And until we fully grasp rule number one, we'll probably think we're great listeners and our team will think, no, you're not. I can't remember the last time you properly listened to me. And, and, and maybe one of the things that we can do just to check on ourselves, because the best thing, of course, that we can do is ask for proper feedback from our teams. But if we're the kind of manager who thinks they're great and doesn't listen to their team, then let's be honest, the team aren't going to be very honest in the feedback that they actually start to give up. They say, yeah, yeah, you're great, you're fantastic. Just worry that it'll come back on them. But I would say two things. First of all, just watch yourself for how many interruptions you make in a team meeting or a one-to-one. See if you can clock the number of them. And that could be finishing somebody's sentences. It could just be barging in. Or it could even be somebody else makes a particular point and you completely disregard the point that they've made and just come in with something else. And, and ask yourself, so see if you can keep a tally, a, uh, an idea of how many times you actually do that. And that will be a really strong indicator of whether you're listening or not. That's, that's one, one possibility. The other thing I would say is, if you really want to get to grips with this, I would seek feedback from your team uh, about whether you really listen or not. But the only way you're going to get them to be properly open with you is, and this goes back to what you said before about being authentic, is to acknowledge some of the weaknesses that you're aware of and put them on the table. Because if you say, you know, I want to know whether I'm a good listener or not, oh, please give me any feedback you can, uh, and they're nervous about this, you're going to get very little quality information coming forward. But perhaps if you say, okay, then I, I, I realise that, I don't know, um, I realise that sometimes I'm asking your opinion, or I'm appearing to ask your opinion, but in reality, I'm just trying to find more ways to persuade you that my opinion is the, is the right one. And I'm you know, not always listening as carefully. Or it might be a case of, you know, I, I acknowledge that when you want me to go down a particular route, you know, if the customer says something else, even when what the customer wants is the wrong thing, and is actually, you know, it might be an impossible requirement for you, and there's very good reasons why you've told the customer it can't be done, then as soon as they contact me, I'm concerned about upsetting the customer. So I tell them it can be done and then you're left with this big, big problem. Whatever it is, if you put on the table some of the things that you are aware of, that will then create the environment where they're actually more able to come forward with some honest feedback. And, and actually, for anybody that wants to look into this anymore, it's been around for a long time. I'm effectively describing the Johari window in terms of it, it's a you know it's a disclosure feedback model of self-awareness. And the more we actually open out the stuff that we can see that maybe others can't see, the more willing they are to share what they can see that maybe we can't see. Thank you for bringing that in. I love that. And there is just like so many things that I want to unpack in there. Let's just start with um, how I, I think uh, this is really curious. At Apex Lab, uh, nonviolent communication is taught to everyone so that when they give feedback to each other uh, and realize that someone is using the formula from nonviolent communication, they will take it so that the person who is giving me this feedback really put an effort into making it digestible and understand understandable for me. So... Being prepared for giving feedback is really something that resonates with everyone and makes receiving feedback easier. Also, um, what you said about the Johari window. So when when we're talking about listening, just circling back to the to the original topic, um, when we're talking about listening, it's really important that we know that we don't know everything even about ourselves and so that we remain open to others' opinions and and perspectives about it. us. Is that right? I think that's very true. And I think, again, the enlightened leaders, and this is actually, this is related to listening, but it's kind of a, a parallel area. The best leaders realize that they're not great at everything. In fact, they realize that there'll be some things that they're really poor at. 
and they look to build a team around them that complements you know, their strengths and their weaknesses. But the important thing about that, so, so as well as listening, if you want to create connection with a team, listening would be, would be a, a real foundation. And, and aligned with that is the whole idea of valuing difference. You know, we talk a lot about diversity, but I, I get frustrated sometimes that I feel we just obsess with tick box diversity. We need to tick all these boxes for diversity. And real diversity recognises that we want a whole range of different people with different backgrounds, with different perspectives, with different ways of looking at the world. We want to encourage that diverse thinking. And, and the beauty of that is then, because the best leaders realise, and this is rule number one again, um, they don't have all the answers. In fact, the world is too complex for any one of us to have all of the answers. So the best leaders will draw the answers from a range of sources and inputs, a range of perspectives. So what's great then is that you know, the best leaders will, because they get rule number one, they will build a team of people around them who are different, who are better than them at certain things. And they're looking to bring that forward. But again, the important thing with, with diversity is it's not enough to have it, you have to value it which is where you get to the whole inclusion idea. You have to draw them in. And when they say something that's very different to your perspective, that's so different to your perspective, you think they're barking up completely the wrong tree, that they've got the wrong idea, that's when you really need to listen. Because the chances are they've got a perspective that you're completely missing uh, and they're putting something on the table that's really, really important that you would otherwise have completely overlooked. My follow-up question will be, about the technical side of things because I sometimes try to make myself, you know, more aware of how I want to work with different people and not just hire people based on my intuitions of how much they are open-minded or how much they have a growth mindset. And I, I always think that hiring people who have values that are similar to mine so they they want to create something together um is best um i i wonder how can you how can you deliberately hire for for culture differences or or what are some areas that you would highlight where we need to watch out for for differences in our in our new hires that's a really good question carolina i would say there's, there's a few things to think about here just to unpack that a little bit um I, i'm looking to so if you're saying you're looking to recruit people with similar values that makes perfect sense what we have to bear in mind though is that similar values doesn't mean similar perspectives and similar strengths you know, it's very easy to take that and turn it into surrounding ourselves with mini-me's, you know, people, people who are like us. And, and if we look at, let's say, two extremes in our team, we might have somebody that's brilliant technically and is really excited about creating you know, innovative technical solutions, but actually not so great and connected with people. And then you might have somebody else in the team who's, you know, they're, they're less interested in the task, but they're absolutely fired up about the relationships and building those relationships and helping the team to become stronger overall. There's a place for both of those. And there will be differences in their values. You can't assume that they will have the same values. But you're looking for enough core overlap in the values for it to function effectively. And again, it comes back, we'll come back to this values question later on. It's very easy for an organisation just to say, here are our values and we'll just have these values, thank you very much. Actually, there is a danger that they're missing real richness in doing that. However, some alignment on values, I think, is a really good idea. So it's about balance in this one, because you can, if you're not careful, you can go far too one way and, and just create a very myopic view of the world where everybody is the same. Uh, we need to recognise that, that there can be similar values and overlapping values, but there'll be different strengths and different perspectives. And that's what you're looking for. So if um if a leader is listening to us who is um you know high up in the in the hierarchy and perhaps has some people who are they feel fundamentally different than than they are um what would you suggest they do to appreciate those differences rather than to feel 
threatened by them or to feel annoyed. Well, and I think you've, you've used the key word there, appreciate, which which also leads on to a third element of if you want to create a greater, if you, as your leader, you want to create a greater connection with your team. It's not just listening. It's not just valuing difference. But there's an element of how we actually appreciate those that we actually work with. And I would say our job as leaders is to is to look for what's right. Now, we we still have to have the tough conversations and deal with what's wrong and challenge that. And if the organization's heading in the wrong direction, then we need to we need to you know speak clearly and openly about that. But primarily our role is to look at those in our team and find what's right with them rather than what's wrong with them. Now, the challenge for us is the more different somebody is to us, the more we see what's wrong with them rather than what's right with them. That's why we've had so many issues with diversity down through the years. Somebody looks different, well, people assume there's something wrong with them. And they look for what's wrong rather than from what's right. So, So in this scenario... We need to be spending time. I, I would challenge just to each day. I, I talk about your five a day very, very often. And you know, often people say you need to have five pieces of fruit and vegetables a day, or whatever, about the size of your fist, don't they? This is a slightly different perspective. I, I would challenge leaders each day to think of somebody in their team and to consciously think of five things that that person brings to the team the value that they add, whatever it is. It might be a characteristic of theirs. It might be the way they do particular pieces of work. It might be a goal that they've achieved. Whatever it is, five things for that person that day. Uh, and literally each day, you know, pick another member of the team and, and think their way through. And then, of course, the beauty is when they've worked out those five things, so two things come from that. First of all, they're starting to look at that person from a different perspective. And, and, and by the way, I would start this exercise with those who are most different to you. Because those who are most different to you, first of all, they're the hardest to do this exercise with. But those who are most different to you, if, if, you look, if we all reflect back on our own experience and we can see this in our personal lives, we can see this in our professional lives, the people who are most different to us, it'll either go one of two ways. They, they, they get on your nerves, they frustrate you. You can be in the same meeting, but come out and feel like, you're in a different meeting and you know, every conversation is a difficult conversation. It can go down that, that particular route and it's a really, really frustrating route to go down. Or you'll have people in your network where you're very, very different, but you've learned to respect and value those differences and you've actually formed a really, really strong relationship. And the beauty at that point is, is effectively you're looking across you know, to the opposite person and you realise that between the two of you, You've got all the bases covered because you're so different. You effectively make, if you combine and work together, you effectively make one fully functional human being because you've got that full perspective. And once you've got that value, once you've got that understanding and you can see that, it's a really, really powerful combination. But it only works by learning to respect what that person brings to the table, the value that they bring to the team. We have to get over that hump of the things that frustrate us and wind us up and they always do this and they always do that and they never do this and ah, oh, they drive me mad. But if we get over those things and start to look at the things, the value that they bring and appreciate that value, that's when the shift starts to come in our perspective. And then, of course, we can build on that because it's no good just writing this stuff down and listing these five things. The next thing we need to be doing is go and have a conversation and tell them what it is we appreciate and we value about them. And it's it's a game changer if we create that kind of a shift because we're looking at them differently. But also when we have this conversation, too often we wait until people leave or die before we say what we appreciate about them. It's, it, we're, we're, you know, I, I, I'm hoping it's better in Hungary, it really is. But you know, in the UK, we're rubbish at it. It's, it's a huge problem. Everybody says, oh... These millennials, they all need lots of feedback. They're all really high maintenance. And I think that's just rubbish. We all need feedback. We've just got used to living without it. And now we've got a generation coming along that will not tolerate not having feedback. And they demand it. And I think that's a really good thing. I think uh, what's really challenging to people is um, appreciating the differences uh, that other people bring to the table 
when they feel they genuinely don't like the other person. And I think what you just brought in here with having the five things that you like about the person or you think the other person brings to the table makes it much easier to appreciate the other person when when somebody feels like they just, oh, I don't like them or they annoy me. Um, staying with feedback though, how... Um, if you if you have these these five things you appreciate about the person and you communicate that to the people, of course that's gonna bring you closer together, or uh, it's gonna bring you closer to that person on your team. Uh, but when giving uh, perhaps critical feedback or or constructive criticism, how would you how would you build that into your feedback? What are some strategies so that, for example, the feedback sandwich or or the shit sandwich, as they say, is out of the picture completely? Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that's out of the picture because that, that, that is the worst feedback tool ever. Um, I make people, when I, when I run development programs, I, I make them give me an oath that they will never use the feedback sandwich. It's a, it's a, it's a dreadful principle. Um, just before we move on from the five things, actually, just one thing that's worth mentioning. Sometimes people really struggle to do that exercise. And what I would say can be useful is talk to somebody who you know and trust, who also knows this person. And if you can have a confidential conversation with that person, you trust, you trust them enough, Sometimes getting somebody else's perspective can help you write that list. So, so, so that can also be a useful thing to try. But in terms of the, the constructive conversations, because again, the, the, the best leaders, they are looking for what's right in their team and they're regularly having conversations about what that is. They don't save it up for quarterly reviews or anything like that. It's an ongoing conversation that's taking place. But the best leaders, uh, the best leaders don't ignore... The, the tough conversations, they're having these as well. Although what's interesting to note is they have far more of the positive conversations than they do of the tough conversations. If all you're doing is having tough conversations and the chances are you're probably driving a downward spiral and the problem's you. And you really need to start looking for something that's right because you're creating a, a self-fulfilling prophecy because all you're focusing on is, is what's wrong there. But in terms of how to go about doing it, the, 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 the first thing I would say is, is to do it. I think the biggest failure mode of tough conversations is people don't have them. You know, they're too worried about it going wrong. They, they're too uncomfortable about it. They're thinking, well, I can't think quickly enough on my feet. So I'll start this conversation and then I won't think fast enough and it all go horribly wrong. So they just avoid it. And the, so the first thing is to have the conversation because the biggest failure mode is not having them. But the second thing I would say is before you go into the conversation, again, going back to what we said before about perspectives, we all have our own perspective. So what we, we think we know exactly what's going on. <laughs> and the chances are we've only got part of the picture. So we need to really challenge our own beliefs and the assumptions that we've made. Oh, the problem is they're lazy, okay? Problem is they don't care about other people or whatever it is. And we've got that picture in our head now and we struggle to shake it. So before you go into a conversation, I would say, just think, well, what else could it be? You know that, that classic scenario when, uh, when you're stuck behind somebody uh, in a car and they're going really slowly? and you need to get somewhere, and you're really frustrated. Uh, I, I'm hoping it doesn't just happen to me. And, and sometimes I have to remind myself, because I can remember my, my eldest son a few years ago had his appendix removed, and I remember driving him back from hospital, and he felt every bump in the road. So guess what? I was driving really carefully and really slowly to get him home. He'd had a terrible time. He was in absolute agony. So maybe I'm thinking, I start to think now, that the person I'm stuck behind in the road... Maybe they're not an idiot. Maybe there's a reason why they're driving so slowly and carefully. Maybe they're taking somebody home from hospital. I don't know. I mean, of course, it is possible that they're just an idiot who doesn't know how to drive. Um, but it's also possible that there's a really good reason for, for the behaviour. So before you go into this conversation, ask yourself, what else could it be? Give yourself a few other scenarios, even if they're wild and off the wall, just to loosen your so-called grip on knowing exactly what it is, because you really won't have 
the, the full picture. And, and then even ask yourself, if you can put yourself in their shoes, even better, think, well, okay, if I was in their scenario, what would I be thinking? What would I be feeling? What would be going on in my head? And that's a really useful step before you go, in, go into the conversation. But in terms of the conversation itself, and, and, and you touched on this before, Caroline, you talked about preparing for a tough conversation. And I love the fact you said you've got a framework that you work through, that you, that you use. I'd love to know more about it if we have time. Um, but the key thing that I would say we need to do in our preparation is to give specific facts. We don't talk about the opinions, we talk about the facts. And that's what makes the conversation less confrontational and more impactful. So, for example, you know, I could go in and say, look, the problem is you're, you're lazy and you don't care about other people. Okay, well, that's just, that's never going to, I'm spouting opinions left, right and centre here. But if I go in and say, the problem is you've actually been at least 10 minutes late for the last three team meetings. And that's had an impact on the rest of the team. Uh, um, then I'm talking facts. You, 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 you can't disagree with me on that. You can't get all defensive about it. I'm just putting the facts out there. And I think the, the, big, the big thing, by the way, this is also really important when it comes to appreciation. Because if we just go in with our teams and say, oh, you're all so amazing. I don't know how I'd manage without you. Thank you so much. It just comes across as disingenuous. You know, when we're giving appreciation, we need to be specific. That's what matters. That's what has the impact. But when we're having the tough conversation, we need to be specific. And that's what makes the conversation land. And then what we really need to do is shut up and, and, and let them speak. And there's a lovely phrase. It's not my own phrase, but I, I forget where I picked it up. You put the facts down on the table. You can talk a little bit about the impact that it had and what your thoughts were about it but you have to be you own the fact that they're opinions, not facts. And, and then there's a, the lovely phrase that I like is, so this is how it appears through my eyes. Tell me what you see through yours. And then stop talking and, and, and let them put it out there. Because the, uh, uh, and this is a really key principle to understand, which is why a lot, you know, the reason a lot of people avoid tough conversations is because they think, oh, it's all going to go horribly wrong, or I can't think straight, I can't think fast enough, or all of these things. Actually, your goal isn't to solve it, your goal is just to put the issue on the table. So if you've been specific and stuck to the facts, it's far less likely to go in the wrong direction. But even if then they get a little bit defensive, you know, what I would say at that point is, the best thing for anybody to do, once you've got it on the table and you've listened properly to what they're trying to tell you, is to adjourn and say, that's been a really helpful conversation. Let's, you know, let's put the kettle on and we'll have a chat in 15 minutes after we've had a cup of tea and see what we can do moving forward. So the great thing is then both of you can go away and think about, so what might be the next steps? You're not having to think on your feet at all. Or it might be even a case of, let's chat tomorrow, let's chat next week about this moving forwards. And the interesting thing is, I was, there was somebody I was coaching the other day and he'd had to have a tough conversation with one of his team members. I remember him saying to me, Peter, it's like magic. During the conversation, they were really quite defensive. I felt like I wasn't getting through at all. And, and then, you know, I, I listened to what they had to say. We adjourned the meeting to say, okay, summarise where we got to, what we understood. We adjourned the meeting. We came back a week later and they were no longer defensive. They'd actually had time to take it away and process it. They accepted what I had to say. And the conversation moved straight on to how we were going to move forward. It was, it was literally like magic, he said. And separating those out would be really key. So that for me, those would be some steps, you know, very practical steps that you can go through for a conversation like that, that can absolutely take it in the right direction. I also thought of one thing that I, that I usually tell people uh, who I work with, if you... Think about the retrospective prime directive and say, we believe that everyone was doing the best they could with the information they had, then giving feedback that's critical or challenging will be easier because you will see that if the other person is genuinely trying to bring their best, then you giving feedback can only help them arrive to that best in a shorter amount of time because they can, they probably don't know, as you mentioned, the Johari window, they probably don't know that 
what they're doing is not effective or not helping the team or or even hindering the team. So so giving critical feedback is actually helpful to the other person and will shine some light on things that they haven't seen before. So I'm just on board with you to encourage everyone to to give genuinely uh, good feedback that is not necessarily nice, but given with understanding and in a conversational manner. We hear a lot about compassionate leadership nowadays, which is actually, it's what we need in, in today's world. But there are people that get confused that think being a compassionate leader or being a kind leader is about being nice. And it's not about being nice. You know, a, a nice leader, they'll probably avoid having the tough conversation, but a kind or a compassionate leader would have the conversation for the very reasons you've just quoted, because it helps them. It's for the benefit of the person. And, and they need uh, they need that information. They need that input. They benefit from it. And of course, it also you know, comes back to this principle of rule number one. I'm not giving this feedback. I'm not having this conversation to get it off my chest to make me feel better or to score points. Oh, I told them, you know, I'm having this conversation because I want to help them. And, and, and again, it also takes some of the fear out of tough conversations because I realised I can't control how they respond to this. I can manage my input and prepare properly, which makes a big difference. But all I can focus on is what I'm giving them. I'm giving them an opportunity here to better understand the situation and to alter their behaviour that will give them better results with the resources that they've actually got. And if I just focus on that, that also takes a lot of the fear out of the conversation. But you're, you're absolutely right, Caroline. It's about helping them. It has to be about helping them. And that has to be the, the focus of our attention. And so what what do we say to someone who says that they are they are just not the type of person to to get into these conflicts they would say um how can you how can you shine some light on the fact that uh, this is for everyone it might just be a very new kind of behavior um i think we've already touched on i think there's two critical things that make the difference there so first is first of all is preparation so the kind of person who says oh this isn't me i don't have these conversations actually um, the best conversations are the ones where you're properly prepared. So go through the steps that we've talked about and put the time in and you will feel more comfortable with the, with the preparation. Um, the second thing I would say is, is this the importance of adjourning. You, know, you ask that question or an equivalent, and this is how it appears through my eyes, tell me what you see through yours. You understand what they're saying, you summarise it. You're not saying you have to agree with it. You're summarising where you're at. And then you say, right, well, let's both go away and think about this and then come back and we'll have a conversation about how we can move it forwards. So that second thing is, is I think, a game changer because you're not worried about thinking of the best solution there and then you've got time to go away and think. And I would say that, so the kind of person that says, this is not me, then first of all, do the preparation. Realise, as, you, as you've already said, Carolina, it's about helping them. So that's the third thing. But then make sure that you adjourn, you, you, you put it out there, you understand what it is they're trying to say, and then you adjourn before you then come back and have a conversation about moving it forwards. It's not about conflict, it's about understanding. Your goal is to try and understand. When you first have the conversation, your goal is not to fix it. Your goal is not to win or to score points. Your goal is just to put the information on the table and understand their perspective. And actually, all of us, however comfortable or uncomfortable we are with conflict, all of us can actually do that. Coming in with, um, circling back to our original question, how can C-suit executives improve their relationships with their teams? Uh, we've already covered um, giving good feedback and we've already covered valuing differences of people. And we also talked about listening and and listening genuinely. Um, what more can we can we give to them as tips or tactics? So I would say uh, there's pro I, I would argue. I mean, in any scenario, there's probably lots, but I would argue there's just one more to focus on. And, and you've already articulated it very early on in the conversation, which is about being authentic. 
Um, there's a phrase I often use to say, nobody wants to work for a plastic manager. You know, we can, if we're not careful, we can come into work and pretend to be something that we're not. And, uh, and I think the more authentic we are, the more, the more we understand our strengths and our weaknesses and the more open we are about our strengths and our weaknesses, the better our team will connect with us. If we think we're the leader that has to have all of the answers, and of course that's really good news about rule number one again, isn't it? You don't need to have all the answers. Flipping it. That's a relief. <laughs> it takes a whole load of pressure off us. Um, but you know, we realise we don't have to be the one with all that. It's okay for us to say, I don't know. I mean, think about what happened you know, when we were going through the pandemic, when everything changed. And, and we, nobody had a clue what to do to navigate their way through this. Uh, and I think any leader who assumes, oh, I've got to have all of the answers at that point, that, you know, the pressure on them was absolutely supreme. But to say at that point, it doesn't mean you need to throw your hands up in the air and say, I don't know what I'm doing. No, but you can say, I've never encountered this before. I'm not sure what the solution is. I know we'll find a way forwards. But right now, I don't know the answer to that question. I'm going to have to think about it. We're going to have to work on this together. And between us, we'll find a way forwards. So we can be confident about where we'll go, that we'll find an answer. But we don't need to have all of the answers. It's okay to say... You know, I realise that there's an element of not, you know, in the UK we use a phrase, we talk about not washing our, our dirty linen in public. I don't know if you have the same, uh, same over on the continent, but we say that, you know, that there's an element of the stuff that you might not talk about with the team. It's not appropriate to talk about with the team, I get that. But it's also okay to talk about worries and concerns that you have. So if we're authentic about our strengths and our weaknesses... We're authentic about concerns that we've got. We're authentic about mistakes that we've made. You know, if we're honest and put our hands up to mistakes that we've made, it creates a very different environment for, for our team. And the more authentic we are, and I'm not suggesting we talk about all of our woes and troubles at home and, you know, you won't believe what huge argument I had this morning before I came in. But at the same time, we could talk about the fact that, do you know what, I have got some challenges going on at home. And, and it isn't easy right now. And I'm sure we can all relate to that because we've all been there at some point or another. And we don't have to hide it all away. So there's a level of authenticity where if we, you know, if somebody's, it's like anything, isn't it? If, you, if you've got a very smooth surface, it's very difficult. It's very hard to, to sort of glue anything to that very smooth surface. If you take a bit of, uh, you know, um, sandpaper, bit of abrasive paper and then rub it down so the surface is a little bit rougher, things can get, create a better bond, a better connection to them. And it's the same with people. But if all we've got is this lovely shiny surface, nobody can really connect with us. It's like Teflon. But if actually if the surface is a little bit rougher, a little bit more real, a little bit more authentic, it's much, much easier for people to connect with us. Uh, and for that connection to be a, a, a real and lasting connection. So I would say those four things are key. But as I said, you, you talked about authenticity right from the start. And I think it's it's a really important principle in leadership. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I really love the analogy that you made. Um, and I I think there is one more point that is worth mentioning. And I would love your opinion about it. Because um, you you kind of touched on this, but you didn't say the word vulnerability. And I think that is a concept that goes through and through our entire conversation because people, in my opinion, have a hard time listening when when they fear that they are going to be stumped down, when they fear that, that if they don't win the conversation, something horrible is going to happen. And so, so I think being vulnerable comes with that saying, you know, I also have some challenges at home or I also have some things that I struggle with. Um, and that can be, and it doesn't have to be, you know, like life and death. It can be, you know, creating the perfect Excel file for your new project or drawing up the blueprint for, for some customer. Um, There are some things that I am I am not perfect at. And if a manager can do that, then as you said, they are they are not gonna be perfectly shiny on the outside, but they should have 
the courage to to take that first step, correct? Uh, absolutely. I, I, I think you've summed that up beautifully. And I think, you know, if anybody hasn't listened to Brené Brown's TED Talk on vulnerability, is listening to that, they need to Google it now and, and watch that because it's such a powerful principle. And, and actually, the, this whole idea of, of authenticity and vulnerability, it goes back to rule number one. Because when you as a leader recognise it's not about you, that also means then that, and we talked about valuing differences, that means then people in your team, they need to be able to do things their way. It might not necessarily be the way that you want them to do them. Now, the standard still needs to be the standard. I'm not saying the standards are optional, but their way of doing it could be different to your way of doing it. They might not even get exactly the results that you would have got if you'd done it your way. And that's quite a vulnerable place for a leader to be because it's like, well, it's much easier. If everybody does it my way and everybody does my ideas and my solutions, then I'm in control and I'm not vulnerable. But of course, all that does is kill the connection with your team and actually kill the potential of your team uh, you know, all, all in one swoop. So, so to be a leader is to be vulnerable. It's, the very, it's part of the essence of leadership because you can't control and direct everything. Rule number one says it's not your job to deliver the result. It's your job to deliver the team who deliver the result. And if you listen and value difference, they'll do things differently. And that's going to be uncomfortable for you. That's going to be vulnerable because sometimes it will go wrong. For sure. And uh, with that said, let's uh, jump into something that I think is most helpful. What are some common mistakes that you have seen when when people applying these strategies just so we can have our listeners and watchers not make those mistakes? What what should they what should they pay attention to when they are applying these? We have already touched on some. Yeah. Okay. so let's take listening then. And this is the one that I struggle with the most. Um, so I want to be I'll be honest about that. And the thing that I, I'm particularly in my personal life, you could probably have this conversation with my wife, um, that when somebody's you know talking to you and or, or there's an issue or there's a concern, the the big challenge is thinking is is um is is avoiding feeling defensive or that you need to fix it. Um, uh, and that's where ego is getting in the way, isn't it? So so I would say. The, the number one pitfall with listening is thinking you've got to defend your position, you've got to you've got to argue the case, or that they're having a go. No, they're just telling you where they are at. We're back to our sat-nav analogy. That unless we know where they're at, we can't help them get where we need them to be. So recognize that. But it's very hard, and I find it hard not to take it personally. So, so recognize that and, and almost remind yourself they're just giving me information. Understand the information. Focus on understanding. I don't have to fix it. I just need to understand it. So that would be the that would be the, the, the pitfall with listening that I would I would focus on. In terms of valuing difference, so you're looking for people with complementary strengths and weaknesses. Um, what's the pitfall in that? It's it's hard for me to see the pitfall. I'll answer the question slightly differently. I think one one thing people, a common mistake people try to do is they try and make everybody the same. And the whole point, the whole definition of valuing differences, we're not the same. So actually, all of our roles, let's say we're in the team and we've even got we've got the same role, all of our roles might actually look subtly different. So we we can get we can obsess with fairness and consistency, which is important. But actually, if you and I were in a team together and we've got complementary strengths and weaknesses, actually, if we worked for an enlightened manager, despite the fact that we have the same roles, our responsibilities would be subtly different. And it might even be that you're helping me with some of my responsibilities where you have real strengths and I'm helping you with some of yours where I have real strengths. And, uh, and But the danger is to, to, to for fairness and consistency to overtake you know, valuing the difference. So I'd say that's, that's a common pitfall there. Um, in terms of the feedback, I think the, the biggest pitfall, whether it's specific, whether it's about appreciation or whether it's about constructive criticism, it's about not being specific. That's, that's the biggest mistake that people make. So as I said, you go in and say, you're all wonderful. I don't know how to manage without you. It just feels very fake. 
and actually is demotivating rather than motivating. Or if you go into the conversation without the specific facts, when it's a, a tough issue, then actually the conversation is very likely to become the very conversation you're wanting to avoid. You know, the very reason why you, you didn't want to have the conversation, it'll all start to blow up because you've gone in without the specifics. And then the authentic piece is that is recognising there's a balance. As I said, it's not, it's not about letting it all hang out, but it is about being authentic. And, uh, and I think it's, it's a hard thing to find the balance. And, and I wear my heart on my sleeve, so I'm very, very open. So if you want to ask a question, then the chances are I'll, I'll answer it. Okay, unless it involves somebody else, in which case it's a harder decision because they might have a different perspective. Others are very, very private. And we don't necessarily have to be authentic in a group setting, although it helps if we can. We might find it easy to have a more authentic conversation on a one-to-one basis. That might, for us, be less, um, less challenging, less difficult. Uh, but that's a real opportunity for us to then do that and take that forwards. And, and if you're... If you're doing it on a one-to-one basis and you want to be properly authentic and actually you want to combine some of the elements of, of all the things that we've talked about here, I would say a really neat little technique is to go for a walk with the person you're having a meeting with. Because the minute you're moving along, the conversation flows in a very different matter and you're also side by side. You're not facing each other, which makes for a, you know, potentially a, a more challenging conversation, but you're walking along side by side and the whole dynamic is different. I remember when I worked for, in a previous life, I worked for 3M and I had to have a conversation with a... I won't identify the role because you know, that, that, that would identify the person for those who, anyone from 3M listening to it, but it was a particularly challenging individual uh, who could, and their behaviour could come across as really quite aggressive at times, and that was one of the things I needed to talk to him about. And he was he was much he was more senior than I was, uh, but I wanted to have this conversation. We actually had this conversation walking. Um, our offices were near a canal, so we had the conversation walking by the canal. Of course, the good news is there's somewhere you can hide the body afterwards if it gets really bad, isn't there? But you know, we, we walked along the side of the canal, and it changed the very the, the the dynamic of the conversation, and we had a much more real and authentic conversation as a result. So that's that's worth bearing in mind. So I don't know if that answers all of your questions, but that probably gives some insight, some useful stuff to think about. For sure, most definitely. Thank you. And um, before we wrap up our conversation, um, I really want to want to get your ideas about alignment within yourself and alignment of the team. I loved that you put in at the beginning of our conversation about making sure we know where we are at at the moment. Um, I think a lot of people struggle with this as individuals and um, and there are really amazing um, self-assessment tests out there. And uh, please share share uh, the self-assessment test that you have brought for our listeners today. And also give um, some perspectives as to how the leaders who are listening to us can become better at understanding where they are at the moment. Brilliant. No, thank you. So, uh, so yeah, the, the, the tool that I've created, and it's, it's available... Uh, with my compliments, actually, for leaders. And it's called The Inspirometer. So it's it's literally www.theinspirometer.com. And if you go on to that, there's some really very, in, there's some very insightful questions that will help you think about the leader that you are. The important thing, of course, is that you answer them honestly. Uh, but from that, it will it, it will actually give you, you'll even get, we all like to have a score, don't we? The question is, how inspired and inspirational a leader are you? And, and you know, it'll give you a score. So if you want to know what number you are, where, where you hit uh, on, 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 the, um, on the scale, then you can complete the inspirometer and find out. But more than that, it also gives you an individual report that... that create some really powerful suggestions of thing, practical things that you can do. Everything that we've been talking about today, we haven't really talked about a single model or theory of leadership. It's all been very practical. And I, and I believe that's what we need, are the practical things that we can apply, uh, but also the practical things that affect the way that we think e- e- even more so. And it's full of really practical advice and insights for you to consider moving forwards that you can put into practice on a day-to-day basis that will create a real shift 
within your team in terms of the way in which they're working together, the extent to which they're fulfilling their potential, uh, and then also you know, the extent to which they're delivering the results that they're there, they're, they're there to deliver. So I, I'd, I'd strongly recommend people have a go at that and, and see where that takes them. And, and what the best leaders have done have then taken that self-assessment report and they've shared it with their team and said, OK, so here's where I think I am. What I'd love to understand is where's the gap? What am I missing? What, what, what could I do with looking at differently to help me understand, you know, to help my view of where I'm at as a leader to match the reality of your experience? You know, please share your insights and, and your thoughts with me. At some point, I will turn it into a 360 degree feedback tool, but it, you know, it, that's a, a little bit more complicated and it takes a little, a little bit more to manage on an ongoing basis. And I'm providing this as something that's as a complementary service, but that would be a really neat way to do it and properly open up the conversation with the team. And if you're wanting to then go further, obviously I work with, with senior execs uh, who, and people who are new to senior positions who are wanting to create a tangible shift. And I think because of my engineering background, it's not just about nice woolly conversations. We agree a goal that we're working towards. It's about tangible results. And we deliver those results as, as part of the process. And my core coaching offering, once we've agreed to the goal, and we'll, we're, depending on what the goal is, we'll typically be working on this for a period of around about nine months, depending on the complexity of the goal. It might be less. And the idea is that we agree a core, we put in some core coaching time as part of the process. But as long as they're completing their actions, in order to deliver the result, they can have as much, many extra sessions as they need. So they're not investing in coaching, they're investing in the results. And they can see the value of the result and it's all about driving that result and making that happen. So, so again, that's a really powerful shift that can take place. But, but I would say the way to start off is to start with the inspirometer and then through that there'll be various opportunities of reaching out to me. And of course, I'm, I'm very active on LinkedIn or reasonably active on LinkedIn. I'd love to say I'm posting every day, but that's not true. Um, and people can reach me on LinkedIn as well as, as a... Um, uh, Peter Anderton on, on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and thank you for this awesome conversation. Um, we talked about how senior executives can get a better relationship with their team. And we talked about active listening and we talked about valuing diversity and giving feedback and being authentic and how those are not just some big words. Those are actual behaviors that one can and should um, use in their everyday life. And um, you shared with us the inspiriment there. Thank you. Um, and um, our listeners share, follow you on, on LinkedIn. Um, is there anything else that you want to add to the conversation or anything that we have missed so far? Actually, there is just one thing, because you mentioned about organisation and individual values right at the start. I know we said we'd come back to it. Uh, and it's just a very simple message to put out there that I've seen in too many organisations, the senior team will sit in a darkened room and they'll work out what they think the values of the organisation should be. And they go out and they go, ta-da, here are our values, everybody. And they wonder why people aren't excited about the values that have been created. And, and I would love, and again, this comes back to the foundation of rule number one. It's not about you. It's not about you deciding what these values should be. That actually one of the best things that more organisations could start to do is to work with the values that are already implicit in the organisation, engage people in the organisation. What do you think is special about the organisation? What are the values that you see in action on a day-to-day -day basis? And understand what's already there. This, this is very similar to the principle we've already talked about, about appreciation. Look for what's already right. You know, as you look at the values of an organisation, there'll be some bad values, there'll be some good values, but they're there. And identify the good ones that already exist, that the, 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 the whole organisation um, are, are bought into, and find ways then, find ways then to engage the organisation with those and articulate those clearly. So rather than coming in from above saying, here's the values we want you all to work to, you've identified the very best of the values that already exist. 
And what you're now doing then is polishing them and bringing to the surface and aligning people behind them. And the great thing is then, you don't have to keep hammering away at people to align to your company values. They're already a part of it. They're already aligned to it and they can see that. And as I said, for me, it's a really, it's a really, it's another neat example of the importance of rule number one. Let's work on what's already there because it's not about you as the senior leaders. Let's work on what's already there and take that forward. And it's just one point that I wanted to come back to uh, throughout that conversation. But everything starts with rule number one. It's a foundation for all things leadership. If you don't get rule number one, I don't care how many tools or techniques you have, you're never going to deliver an effective team. And if you fail to deliver an effective team, then the bad news is it becomes all about you and you're the bottleneck for the team, the bottleneck for the organisation. You, you limit the team's growth, you limit the organisation's growth and you very rapidly get to the point that, that you hate your life because you're working uh, horrendous hours, everything's waiting on you, the pressure mounts and mounts and mounts. If you don't get rule number one, it's bad news for your team and it's bad news for you. Thank you so much. Um, and leaving on a positive note, if you need to listen to our conversation with Peter again, go ahead and go to the beginning because I think there have been some really awesome tips and tricks and also some frameworks or it's not a framework, just like viewpoints from from the bigger picture of, of how to become more aligned and more virtuous in in a professional setting. Thank you so much, Peter, for joining Level Up Engineering. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I've loved it, Carolina. Thank you for the invitation. And for everyone watching and listening to us, I am Carolina Toth. This was the Level Up Engineering podcast. Today, my guest was founder of Internal Alignment, Peter Enderton, and we talked about how C-level executives can really improve their relationships with their teams. If you want to help the podcast, please go ahead and check out our new sponsor, apexlab.io, and see whether their services can be the best thing for you. Thanks for staying with us. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time. See you next time.